Well, ever since I was a young boy, one of my heroes has been Amy Carmichael, who served as a missionary to India during the first half of the 20th century. If you've never read Amy Carmichael's story, I have a recommendation for you. If you're you people who are newly on Goodreads, go read A Chance to Die, which is Elizabeth Elliot's excellent biography of her. One of the things that always struck me about Amy Carmichael was her remarkable energy. She was so very active in the cause of Christ. Always planning, always working, always striving forward to the next goal. However, when she was 63, something happened that would alter her condition for the rest of her life. One night in the darkness, as she was walking in the mission compound, she fell over the opening of a pit. This fall broke her leg, dislocated her ankle, and twisted her spine. She never recovered from these injuries. And for the next 19 years, this passionate, ambitious, active woman lived her life essentially confined to her bedroom in the mission compound, until she went to be with the Lord at the age of 83. Now, Amy was not afraid to pray for healing, and she and her community and her global network did so. But the Lord never gave her a period of lasting relief. And you would understand if in these circumstances she might give way to all sorts of dark thoughts. Lord, how can I serve you in this condition? Have you put me on the shelf? Am I useless now? I'm so terribly hampered in this situation. It's not like it was before. How can I be of use? Lord, wouldn't it be better if my condition were changed? Have you ever said anything like that? Have you ever had a time... Maybe you're in one now. When you look at your life circumstances and you think this just can't be best. As long as I'm in these circumstances, I can't be of any significant use to God. There's no way that I can serve him effectively. My situation's just got to change. Well, that's what some of the Christians in Corinth thought. They thought they needed to change their situation in life. Some of them wondered whether their current circumstances placed them at some kind of spiritual disadvantage. Others were probably simply struggling with discontentment, unhappy with their lot in life. And the Apostle Paul was ready to give them help. He was ready to help them with encouragement and exhortation and good advice that was grounded in the gospel. And guess what? You and I need his wisdom too. Because we too struggle at feeling that we ought to be pursuing the next great thing, right? The American dream lives in us. We tend to have restless feet. We tend to have itchy fingers. It doesn't take much for us to start thinking that surely the grass must be greener over there. So today, let's listen and let's let Paul teach us about how to serve Christ contentedly and devotedly right where God has called us, regardless of our circumstances. So open your Bibles with me, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're using a Bible from the seats in front of you, one of the blue ones, you can find this text on page 955. 955. All right, let's start by reading in verse 17, and we're going to read just verse 17 to start. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. All right, at this point in his letter, Paul's dealing with a number of questions that the Corinthians had written in a letter to him, a letter which we don't have. But from verses 1 to 16, the passage that I preached last week, we know that they were wrestling with questions about marriage. And some of the married folk in the Corinthian church weren't so sure that it was best for them to stay married. Some were contemplating divorce without any proper grounds. Or else, within marriage, they were abstaining from the normal patterns of marital intimacy that you'd expect. And Paul spoke to several different situations. But essentially, here was the upshot. If you're a believer who's married, in general, stay married. As far as it depends on you, remain with your spouse. And of course, we did see that Jesus gave an additional exception, and he permits divorce in the case of marital unfaithfulness. But in the absence of that, as far as it depends on you, remain with your spouse. If you're married, act like it. Continue to give yourselves to one another in the sexual bond that's part of marriage, lest you be tempted into serious sin. So his word to married folks was essentially, be content in your situation. And now having said that, Paul takes a big step back and he lays out for us a great big overarching guiding principle. And this is it. And if you want to See the outline of this? You can find that in a sermon outline in your folder, in your bulletin. But this is the big, ultimate guiding principle. Serve Christ contentedly in whatever situation God has called you. Let's look again at his reasoning and read verse 17 again and following. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He really means that, by the way. In fact, he's going to say it three times. Was any at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who called, he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he, when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, third time, In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Brother, sister, 
Let me ask you. Did God sovereignly ordain the circumstances you were in and the timing of when you would be saved? Was he in control of that? The answer is yes. Yes, he was. He wrote our stories. He writes every story. And when God saves us, he takes us from where we are. Not from where we might wish we were. He takes us from where we are. That doesn't mean we can never change our circumstances. It certainly doesn't mean we can't grow. But it means we don't need to fret about our circumstances. Because God assigned you that situation. He gives two particular examples. The first is circumcision. Some of the Corinthians were saved out of Judaism. And some of them were saved out of paganism. That means some of the guys in the church are circumcised and some aren't. Don't worry about it, Paul says. One isn't better than the other, so don't try and make some kind of change. Whether you have that physical mark in your body or not is just not important on this side of the cross. You want to know what is important, though, he says. It's obedience. It's having a circumcised heart which is able to love and serve God. That's what physical circumcision was always pointing to anyway. The removal of, of sin from off of the stony heart. And so he says, don't worry about the physical. Make sure that you're spiritually circumcised. Make sure that you have the new heart. Jesus saves Jews and Gentiles both, and their former religious status doesn't matter. Both can serve the Savior just as they are. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. The second example is over social situation, social condition. Some of the Corinthian believers are bondservants and slaves. Should they be worried that that makes them second class in the Lord's eyes or in the church? Not at all. In fact, it doesn't He says, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter how the world sees you. What matters is how God sees you. See, these believers, their relationship with Jesus, actually, for every believer, their relationship with Jesus is the truly important thing. So God's called you when you were a slave. Don't be troubled by that. Paul says, there's a much, much deeper reality, and that's that you're free in Jesus. On the other hand, did God call you as a freeman? Well, guess what? That doesn't mean you belong to you, does it? You were bought with a price. You're a slave of Christ. Everyone who has been redeemed through the gospel is both eternally free and eternally his bondservant. And the gospel swallows up all worldly social distinctions that are so important in our world. It swallows up those distinctions and makes them irrelevant in light of eternity, in light of where it's all going. It simply doesn't matter in the truly long run whether someone is, even whether someone is slave or free. 
And that's why he can apply the big guiding principle to the brothers and sisters who find themselves in slavery. He can, he can apply this in a very nuanced way. They are able, they are empowered, they can serve Christ contentedly and joyfully just as they are. Now, if you can secure your freedom, and many slaves in the Roman Empire could, well then, yeah, do so, Paul says. All other things being equal, having your freedom in this life would be better. But you aren't at any ultimate disadvantage before the Lord if that opportunity doesn't come your way. Now, this this example helps us because it shows that Paul's big guiding principle isn't rigid and inflexible. Sometimes it's fine to change your circumstances. But it's possible and it's appropriate to serve Jesus contentedly and devotedly even if nothing changes. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have everything you need to glorify God just right where you are today? If you're a believer, you have everything needful. You don't like the stage your kids are in? You don't like your job? Your financial situation isn't great? You don't care for your living situation? You wish you lived somewhere else? Some of your close relationships are complicated and challenging and even painful? You're not thrilled with your marital status? You wish you were married and you're not? Or you're married and wish you weren't? Do any of these things mean you can't serve the Lord? You can't obey the Lord. You can't live faithfully for Him and His kingdom. Not really. Not unless something changes. No, listen to me. Listen to me. It may be at some point those conditions will change. But right now, with the situation exactly as it is right now, God sees you. God sees you and is caring for you. You can serve the Lord Jesus right now. Nothing needs to change in order for you to walk out of those doors and follow Jesus Christ in obedience. You are not a prisoner of your circumstances. You can be content. You can remain as you are indefinitely, if need be. You can even be joyful if your situation gets worse. Right? Paul is, is free right now. He's walking around ministering all sorts. I think he's in Ephesus right now. I can't quite remember. Paul, though later in prison awaiting trial before a pagan emperor on a capital charge, can say, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is not a victim of circumstance. He knows that whatever happens, this is all just temporary. It's all just passing away. The real eternal stuff is coming, and it's coming soon. So whatever his lot, God has taught him to say, it is well. It is well with his soul. 
Can you say that? You can say that. All right, where are we at? We have this guiding principle of Paul's. In general, he says, remain as you were called. Now, how's he going to apply this principle to issues of marriage? Read in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. I believe what we have here is Paul's pastoral advice. This is counsel, not command. Everything we saw last week was pretty much command. This is now in the realm of counsel. And Jesus himself didn't speak to this situation. He has no command from the Lord. What about those who are unmarried or who are betrothed? Paul's counsel to them is it would be better for them to remain unmarried in view of the present distress. Okay, what's that? What's the present distress? Well, it could be that there's some particularly distressing situation that the church in Corinth was going to be going through imminently, like some sort of significant period of persecution. And it can be easier, it just can be easier to go through certain tough times if you don't have a family. One commentator said this, it is one thing to stand up for Christ under the threat of being thrown to the lions. It is another thing to stand up for him under threat of your small children being thrown to the lions. So taking one thing with another, this might not be the best time, he says, to plan a wedding and start a family. Now, I think that interpretation does make a lot of sense, but in the end, I actually think it's a little broader than that. I think the present distress extends further than to just a particular local trouble in Corinth. See, the Bible describes the entire period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming as a time of of upheaval and struggle and the great dragon making war on Jesus' people. So Christians have all been in this present distress, and you and I are also. And Paul says that given all that, the reality in this age is that those who marry will have certain worldly troubles. And for those who can accept this, he'd like to spare them those troubles. Jesus says something similar. He says, he who can accept it, not everyone can accept this, but only to those who it's been given. We'll see Paul's reasoning now, starting in verse 29. Why does he think that in the present context, singleness might be better than marriage? Verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as if they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as if they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with this world as if they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Friends, the time is short. The Apostle John wrote... Children, it is the last hour. It's been the last hour for 2,000 years. 
We have been in that last hour that John talks about ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. This world is not long for this world, if you will. This world is passing away. It will soon be gone. Aslan says, all times, I call all times soon. So soon is in Jesus' purview, not in our purview, by the way. But this world is passing away, and God's kingdom is advancing and triumphing, but it's bitterly opposed by Satan and his followers. And so Paul wants us to live not on a peacetime footing, because it ain't peacetime. He wants us to live on a wartime footing. And he's not saying that marriage and mourning and rejoicing and material possessions aren't real. What he is saying is we must not build our lives on things that aren't going to keep. As much as we can, we ought to remain unencumbered by the things of this world. Don't be tied down by the things that are for this life only. Are you mourning? It's going to pass. Are you rejoicing? It's going to pass. Do you got some stuff? It's going to pass. Are you married? That relationship's going to pass. You're not taking it with you to heaven. So the things of this world are not sufficient. They're not a ground on which you can build a life. Paul saying, travel light. Travel light. Look at verse 32 now. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please, please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So here Paul just draws an obvious conclusion. Marriage is a blessed encumbrance. Marriage is a blessed encumbrance. It does divide our interests. Now, don't get me wrong. I love being married. I love being married to that woman right there. I love my wife. I love the companionship. I love the affection. I love the exclusiveness of the bond that I share with Elisa. I love the children that have come from our union. I love being married. But Paul's words are just true. I am less able to give myself flat out for the things of the Lord because I chose to take a wife. That means I am necessarily and rightly concerned with worldly things. And here Paul doesn't mean worldly as in sinful, of the sinful world. Just the things of this age, the things, the, the things that ultimately will pass away, the things of this world. I have a kitchen tile that is broken and has been broken for months. I have a driveway that needed snow blowing yesterday with a snowblower that's a little punky. I had basketball three times this week. And then Elisa very appropriately wants me to sit down with her sometimes on the couch so we can talk and snuggle and budget and meal plan and I can rub her feet. (laughs) 
And these are all perfectly good and righteous and legitimate things that I can do to the glory of God. But Paul didn't have to concern himself with any of those kind of things because he was unmarried. He could take the time I need to spend doing the things that please my wife. He could take the time that I need for that and he could use it more efficiently for ministry. Golly, if I wasn't married, I could spend six nights a week week going from house to house ministering to you all. And I can't do that. And that's okay. But my interests are divided. The same is true for women. Elisa's desire is for me to do the things that please me. That means her attentions are also divided. She wants to please the Lord. That's her primary and ultimate focus. But she, she also wants to please me. Let's not get defensive about this, married folks. Our calling is a good one. Remember, Paul said in the first part of the chapter, each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul's clear. It's no sin to marry. In fact, you know what's much more encumbrancing than marriage? Sexual sin. So if you're not, if you're not actually able to sustain your desires, then it's better to marry. He says that. But it means we just need to acknowledge and accept that we chose an encumbrance. We're not traveling as light as we could be. And that's okay. Paul lays no restraint. He just offers counsel because he wants to promote good order and secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, those of you who are unmarried, I hope you can see what possibilities are laid before you. As long as you remain as you are, you, your interests can remain undivided. And that gives you amazing opportunities to serve Jesus undistractedly. Now, I know it is possible to be single and take no real advantage of that opportunity. You can take the time that a married folk, married folk give to their spouses, and you can give yourself to the things of this earth. Legitimate, non-sinful, passing away pursuits, such that you have no more time and energy and strength to give to the kingdom than a married person does. That happens. But can I, from my relatively, un, my relatively encumbered position, encourage you to dream bigger. Dream bigger. How might you leverage your unmarried condition for maximum effectiveness for Christ? What deeds for Christ might you attempt? What are your ambitions? Reading and study and prayer? What What relationships might you cultivate? What acts of service might you give yourself to? What about your ability to pivot on a dime to meet needs? What about witnessing opportunities, etc., etc., etc.? Just think. Just think about this one example. Think about how throughout church history, the cause of global missions has been continually advanced by brothers and sisters who, like you, were not married and therefore were able to go into particular situations that would have been closed to families. And especially women. Especially women. In fact, on the mission field, unmarried women outnumber outmarried men 90 to 10. The force 
And the effectiveness of unmarried ladies going to the ends of the earth can't be overstated. Amy Carmichael, Lottie Moon, Mary Slessor, Gladys Aylward, name just a handful. What might not the Lord do through you? Now, I know there's another side. I know there's another side. Sometimes remaining unmarried is not a choice, is not your choice. A dear child of God is single even though they desire marriage. They experience strong sexual desire. They feel like they would marry if they could, but it seems like there's no opportunity. That's a reality for some. For some, it's a temporary situation. For some, it's lifelong. And if that's you, then I would say two things. One is, it is appropriate to see that situation as a trial. As a hard providence. As something that is suffered. I do think it is a gift, but it's a hard gift. And God sees you. God sees you in that. And he has what you need to sustain you and for you to be to know his love. It's not that two are not in conflict that this can be a chosen act of joyful obedience and it can be a trial and a severe one. Unchosen singleness can be offered to the Lord like any other sorrow. The psalmist says he puts your tears in his bottle. Are they not in your book? You can know his comfort and his care. And then second, I would say, you don't know for sure what the future holds. It may include the blessed encumbrance of a spouse. But you have undistractedness for right now. You have undistractedness right now. Will you serve Jesus with abandon during this season? Will you use your time wisely for the pursuit of godliness and give yourself to the only things that last, the word of God and the souls of men, during this time when you are traveling light? And trust that Jesus will look upon your offering with love and with favor. Let's finish up the text, starting in verse 36. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. All right, Paul shows us that there are two possible courses of action. Both good, one better. The betrothed couple is completely free to marry. And they are completely free not to marry. In his opinion, the the couple that refrains from marriage does better 
for all the reasons that we've already talked about. And the same principles would apply to someone who's, who's not in a relationship, and it would apply to a believing widow also. So in the believing widow's case, her marriage bond is broken once her husband dies, and she's free to marry again. In fact, she can marry whomever she chooses, but it must be in the Lord. She must unite herself to a man who's also a believer in Jesus. But Paul still, he's pretty consistent. He gives his opinion that she's better off remaining unmarried. Again, the idea is travel light if you can. Travel light. For those of us who are married now, yes, we chose to take on a wonderful, lovable distraction in our spouse. And since we are married, Paul would have us act like it. I'm to be a devoted and faithful spouse. My spouse is to be devoted and faithful to me. We're to care for one another's rights, our needs. We seek to know how to please one another. All of that's good. But let me say, I think that that doesn't mean we can't also try to travel light as much as we can. There are ways that we can streamline and simplify our lives so that our families can have more kingdom impact. Let me offer four ways that our families can travel lighter for the sake of the kingdom, because we should be envious of our single brothers and sisters who have more, less encumbrance than we do. So how can we get as much unencumberedness as we can? Well, four, four things I thought of. One would be harmony in our marriages. Marriage is a distraction, but I assure you, a marriage that is full of conflict and disharmony is a much bigger distraction. So seek to grow in your marital harmony. A well-managed household. If your kids are doing well and happily living under your kind and firm parental authority, this helps free your family from kingdom service for kingdom service. And the kids can have the blessings of participating in it with you. So work on your relationship with your kids. A streamlined schedule. Listen, if my calendar is completely chock full with things that are good, acceptable, but things that pertain to this world only, I would just have little bandwidth for kingdom service. Think of all the extracurricular stuff. Right? Fine things, good things, distracting things. Are we looking at our calendars? This world's goods, this is the last one. I had difficulty putting this one into words, bear with me. What I'm trying to get at is, do we just have a lot of stuff? Things that we've purchased that tie us down because they have to be cared for and maintained and paid for. And so they take up a fixed overhead of time or money such that we have to say no to good kingdom things because we've got to manage all our stuff. Does that make any sense? Are we stewarding this world's goods well or does our stuff run our lives? Maybe an example will help clarify what I mean. One of the things I so love about Steve and Rachel Owens is that they intentionally managed their affairs so that when the time was right, they would be able to tack quickly to take advantage of a gospel opportunity. And that opportunity came this past year. 
And now they're over in Plattsburgh serving at Bread of Life. They planned and they chose a streamlined lifestyle so that they could be ready on the balls of their feet, ready for kingdom service. Now, you don't have to live life exactly like they do, but it's worth asking the question, how easily can you tack when gospel opportunities, whether large ones or small ones, present themselves to you? Can you adjust? Or is it like, ah, I'd love to take advantage of that, but there's all these things. Right? I'm sure there are others, but these are the ones that came to mind. But whether we're single or whether we're married, let us each seek to secure less distracted devotion to the Lord. And now I'd speak a word to those of you who don't yet know Jesus as your Savior. Friend, your whole life is given over only to the pursuit of the things of this world. Things that are going to last for this life only. You are operating under a faulty assumption. You're operating under the assumption that all you need to do is secure your happiness, secure your success, hopefully secure some health and some wealth in this world, and you are busy working for those goals. Goals that pertain to this life only. But guess what? I don't really think God will ever let you be truly satisfied with that. I'll wager that you will be haunted somehow by the thought, is this really all there is? Is this really all I'm living for? And you might push these thoughts away. You might stop your ears. You might keep yourselves all kinds of busy with cares and worries and pleasures of this world, trying to maximize your earthly happiness. But one old preacher said this, My friend, there will come one day to you a messenger whom you cannot treat with contempt. He will say, Come with me. And all your pleas of business cares and earthly loves will be of no avail. When his cold hand touches you, the key of the counting room will drop forever and he will lead you away from all your investments, your speculations, your banknotes, and real estate, and with him you will pass into eternity up to the bar of God. You will not be too busy to die. You will not be too busy to die. Friend, what will you do when you stare into eternity at the end of your life and you find that you aren't prepared for eternity? When you realize that you've run out of time and you stand before God still in your sins, having lived for yourself and for yourself only, and from his throne of judgment, you hear him speak words that you can't bear to hear. Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want that to be you. I want you to be ready. Stop living for yourself. Repent and turn to Jesus Christ and look to his death on the cross and see in it your salvation. The salvation that you need for your sins. Jesus says to you, follow me. Lose your life for my sake. And you will save it 
for life eternal. He's calling you. And what he offers you is the eternal life, which is what you need. And that eternal life actually starts right now. You can live a life starting right now that is full and abundant. A life devoted to serving Jesus Christ and his kingdom. If you will repent of your sin and turn to Christ, you can live a life that will count for eternity and not for this life only, leading only to eternal death. Well, friends, we, we can, we can live life in Christ contentedly and devotedly in whatever circumstance that we find ourselves currently in. We are not the victim of circumstance. Let me close with some words Amy Carmichael wrote just three years before she died, well into her period of confinement. She said, Not relief from pain. Not relief from the weariness that follows. Not anything of that sort of all, at all is my chief need. Thou, O Lord my God, art my need. Thy courage, thy patience, thy fortitude, and very much I need a quickened gratitude for the countless helps given every day. See, she didn't need a change in her situation. All she needed was Jesus himself. And that's true of you as well if you're in Christ. She could serve him exactly where she was, even if it meant never leaving her bed again. And it's the same with you and me. You can serve Christ contentedly, devotedly, right where God has called you, regardless of your circumstances. Will you believe that? Let's pray.